The production of Conversations That Matter with Stuart McNish is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Developments, and listeners and viewers like you. Please visit conversationsthatmatter.ca and become a patron. Groucho Marx once quipped, Why should I care about future generations? What have they ever done for me? Well, according to Rick Antonson, you have a responsibility to your children's great-grandchildren. In fact, Antonson says, you need to wrench yourself away from your phone and become a cathedral thinker about the big issues of our times. The concept crosses many cultures. Chief Owen Lyons of the Onondaga Nation, a member of the Iroquois Confederacy, says, looking ahead is one of the first mandates given to us as chiefs to make sure every decision that we make relates to the welfare and well-being of the seventh generation to come. Now, Antonson rhetorically asks, is cathedral thinking a relic of the past or does it still apply? Of course, he answers, yes, more now than ever. We need to apply it to social policy issues, racial injustice, technological risks such as AI, public health, and space, to name but a few. I invited Rick Antonson to join me for a conversation that matters about why we should care about future generations. It's a big concept, isn't it, Rick? It's one of the biggest concepts in the world. As a, a, a grandparent or as a, a, any other generation, to begin to think about things that will happen after you're gone, that you can affect by an action today. That's a huge concept, and it's a selfless concept. How do you get to that point um, that you start to say, okay, I'm going to make a decision right now, and I have to think about what the consequences of that will be, not in the immediate, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, 24 hours, but the next 24 to 50 years? I don't think the original cathedral thinkers, and I'll spend a minute on that, actually consciously started out to be cathedral thinkers. I think circumstances dictated they were. Say in the 1500s, you were an architect in a city in Europe, and they came to you and they said, will you design the new cathedral for our city? You would begin the task knowing you would not live to see it completed. But you would know because your family would say in the same business, that it could be a granddaughter or a great-grandson or a colleague's great-great-great-grandson who would be doing the final renderings as the spire was coming into place. So your cathedral thought would be along the lines of, it's not what we do that matters, it's what we cause to happen. And that became cathedral thinking. I had nothing to do with the concept. I simply become a... a, a an apostle of it. But it, as a concept, has been around for hundreds of years as long as people have been building cathedrals. And then cathedrals become uh, an illustration for other purposes. So since you introduced this idea to me, I've been doing a lot of reading and thinking about it. Those original stonemasons, though, yeah. let's use the church in Olmünster in southern Germany, which is now the tallest uh, church in the world. Took 509 years to build. Um, you go, okay, no matter what, the people who started went, okay, we want to build something 
that's going to last. And so that was the beginning of the decision, exactly how it was going to manifest itself over time. So there had to be quality thinking that went into laying the foundation because once the foundation is what everything is built upon. And is that not quality thinking? And, is, and, and in a way, is that what we're not talking about? I, th I think there's something absolutely parallel to that, and it's this. If you were the stonemason and you were putting in the foundation blocks, you again would know that your family for generations hence would be following in your trade. So you were building a foundation upon which future generations would also build. So it was incumbent upon you to build the best foundation you could, have the cornerstone in the right place, solve some of the challenges in terms of masonry so that future generations would be building on a solid foundation and could benefit and thrive in their time. So it, it was, I think, if, if the person as the stonemason had a cathedral thought, it probably was, we should all be involved in unfinished work. Okay, so that thought, though, is the antithesis of, let's say, Max Weber's The Spirit of Capitalism, yes. which is, no, no, you build now to profit now. Yeah. Um, yeah. If people want the cash register ring, right. Now, but, but, you know, cathedral thinking, the notion we're talking about, it has been applied to people, by people, who are doing today things that will last, and yet the benefits are also near term. So I heard a podcast recently where the, the two people in the conversation were talking about the city of Dublin and the sewer system and how it gets replaced periodically and how long it's lasted, but how long it's slated to last with rejuvenation. And they called the people who designed that system cathedral thinkers. I've come across cathedral thinking applied by Scotland to land conservation for generations hence protect the land today, enjoy it immediately, but by setting it aside, it's going to be there in 50, 60, 160 years. So that's cathedral thinking or applying the concept in, in, another, in another fashion. Gotta get you to hang on for a second while I take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. The production of Conversations That Matter with Stuart McNish is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Developments, and listeners and viewers like you. Please visit conversationsthatmatter.ca and become a patron. I'm glad you brought that uh, point up because people go, well, how many people are building cathedrals today? But we are in so many different ways. Well, one of the things that I came across is the U.S. Constitution is considered to be cathedral thinking. The moment you say it, because now here we are, how long later, they're still having legal cases over the interpretation. What did it mean for 200 years down the road? But the foundation of it remains whole. And interestingly enough, when you take a look at rulings that come from the U.S. Supreme Court, they go, well, this is what the Constitution says, yeah. and we are being true to the Constitution, yep. but we need to make sure that we interpret it with uh, a lens that is from today's perspective. Yeah, we have a, a website we just maintain it and it's uh, cathedralthinking.com and whenever um, Greta Thunberg the uh, environmental activist talks about the solutions for the environmental challenges we're facing require cathedral thinking we see a bump 
in the number of people Googling to try and figure out what the concept is. But I've come across it in Australia where they talk about it as an approach they've identified that gets people rounded up to uh, conserve water so that good drinking water will be there 50, 60, 90 years down the road. So the, the cathedral thinking being applied is really good, but it, it also comes back, I think, to another tenet of what cathedral thinkers realize. And that's aside from the immediacy of, of a, a financial return or an activity return, it's the realizing about, about change. What was, isn't, what is, won't be. And if in acknowledging that you want to keep some things, clean water, land for future generations to enjoy, a, a, a sewer system in a major city, you need to think of the immediate, but also do things that keep the living generation tethered to the future. That's great, Rick. If I'm going to be taking on these monumental challenges of our time and of the world, how does this apply to me and the organization that I'm with? How does cathedral thinking help us plan better, execute better, have better results? I had a chance recently to talk in Seattle to a group of about 500 people and identified a, an individual. I asked how many people in the room knew who this man was and no hands went up. None. He was the individual that in the 1950s came up with the idea for what became the Seattle World's Fair. And people talk about how Seattle changed the world. Beginning with that, that was a pivotal point. He was a cathedral thinker. So I asked about those in the room later in my presentation, have you picked a date that's a ways down the road that you can do something today that is helping to make Seattle, as an example, better for future generations, some of whom aren't even born yet, and pose that that date for Seattle should be 2062. That's only 39 years away. That's the 100th anniversary of their World's Fair. And if you have goals for 2062, you better have goals for 2052 that show you on the way, 42. 32. You better have been something you're going to do tomorrow in your daytimer that is leading down the road. So you've got something immediate, it's down the road. Now, I come out of the tourism industry in Vancouver. I can tell you, in all the years I was in tourism in Vancouver, for most of my colleagues, their long-range plan was their daytimer. It is difficult to get people to think of a bigger vision. Let's host the Olympics. Let's expand the convention center. Let's train taxi drivers so that we have one of the best taxi, most knowledgeable taxi industries in, in North America. Those are things that people struggle with, but eventually they see it as yet another example, and it's a personal one. So it's, it's I, I, um, I had an opportunity to a group recently to say, this preoccupation with today is sort of the carpe diem and, and a more appropriate things, say for a, a province like British Columbia, should be carpa mignana. Mm -hmm. Seize tomorrow, today. But seize tomorrow. Don't be overly preoccupied with right now. Go back, put a date that's 20, 30 years down the road in your, in your corporate business plan, in your personal career plan, in your, on your resume. Show that you acknowledge and realize you want to be part of something that, that leaves a legacy. 
So by doing so, do we then draw together the resources to make that happen? And partly I'm thinking about uh, John F. Kennedy's uh, we choose to go to the moon speech at Rice University. Yes. We, go, we choose to go to the uh, moon not because it's easy, yes. but because it's difficult. And yes. in doing so, it draws together the resources that are needed to make a change. And is this really what we're saying? We can tackle these big challenges, but we have to have a long-term view. You know, we, um, when we were in the early days of the Olympic bid and getting tons of pushback, media pushback, uh, citizen pushback, uh, provincial government, federal government, city government, and often we would meet with, with elected officials. And when we were talking about the Olympics, this is the mid-90s, we're talking about something that's, you know, 15 years away, what we would say was, think beyond your mandate, act beyond your tenure. I want to say that again. Think beyond your mandate, act beyond your tenure. Most elected officials, their long-term horizon was the next election. And that's not good enough. It's not good enough for any elected official. It's not good enough for a bureaucrat. It's not good enough for any civic leader. And it's not good for us as, as citizens. We need to say we're happy to put a point on the horizon and say we've ambition. We've, you know, we're going to do something. And if it's big, that's great. If it's modest, that's great too. I think, you know, if you've got grandchildren, you're thinking, how do you help your grandchildren grow into, you know, really interesting young women, young men, and, and with hopefully being in a world where their passport is welcome and they can travel about and they can see things with eyes wide open and learn as we've been able to do. You can't take for granted that the world is going to be welcoming to our grandchildren when they leave Canada and want to go places. It will only be there if we support government action or international actions that try to keep things reasonably safe for those who want to go on ventures. This is our second break. We'll be back in a moment. The production of Conversations That Matter with Stuart McNish is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Developments, and listeners and viewers like you. Please visit conversationsthatmatter.ca and become a patron. If we don't do that, we wind up with nothing that we're working towards, and when we arrive there, we, do, we still don't have it. And we get trapped in the tyranny of now. Yeah, that's a dangerous trap, isn't it? That's a good term. You know, there's, and this might be overquoted, so forgive me, but there's a great line from Alice in Wonderland that says, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. You're still going to get there. You know, if, if there's good health and stuff, you know, there'll be a day when you and I are talking and one of us has turned 90 or 95 and, you know, lots of other people who are listening to this, they can see themselves growing old. Those things happen. People age, societies move along. I would ask, is there a vision for Canada in 2067? When this country turns 200 years old, will the world get a Canada created by design or by chance. And the world deserves a Canada in 2067 that we now feel we're working toward. And I don't think anyone's articulated that vision. Has anyone articulated a vision, a cathedral thinking approach for the Metro Vancouver area that says, here's what we want to be when Canada turns 200 years old? What about the province of British Columbia? Is it there? I don't think there's a dot on 2067 that has the Vancouver 
port's long-range plan, the tourism agency's long-range plan, the airport's long-range plan, the provinces, all saying, that's where we want to be. Because as I mentioned before, if you know where you want to be in 2067, it by default begins to show some of the measurables you need for 57, 47, 27. Okay, so taking your example though, you're using different uh, uh, transportation and tourism related yep. components of a wheel that needs to also include public health, housing, Absolutely. safety, the environment, yep. all of these things. So without that vision, you're not bringing all of these energies together to make it happen. There isn't a collective will. True, and, and the simplification of it is that you can name some agencies that, that probably by tomorrow afternoon could concoct some meaningful numbers, at least ranges, and begin to put some of the debatables in, in place. But this is about where do we want our indigenous peoples to have, have thrived and what, for them to have accomplished. The same could be said of other areas of society. By what year do we expect every board of directors of any agency or company that operates in British Columbia to be 50% of either sex? By what time do we want to put some of those things down? So when you think of cathedral thinkers on social issues, they've been applied to the women's movement because it was never, it was about now, but it was also about where we're going to get. If you look at the, the civil rights movement in the United States particularly, it was not just about now, but it's about where we're going to get. And nobody's there yet. And both of those movements were decades in the unfolding. Absolutely. Abs absolutely. You know, Steve, uh, Steve Jobs once said that when you look back, you can finally see the dots connected. But when you're looking forward, you can never see the dots connected. And he told the story of dropping out of university, having some free time and walking down a hallway there's a sign that says a calligraphy course. He's got time. He goes into the calligraphy course, learns how to design, do some lettering, the elements of structure and so forth, which he says is why the Apple computer screen looks the way it does. So he said anybody looking at a computer screen is doing, seeing a design that is directly as a result of him dropping out of university, didn't see that dot, him walking down the hallway, could have gone for coffee, could have gone to the bathroom, he's walking down, there's a sign up for a one day only course, he goes into it, all the dots after that make sense to the computer screen that you're gonna look at this afternoon, I'll look at this afternoon. Third and final break, we'll be right back. The production of Conversations That Matter with Stuart McNish is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Developments, and listeners and viewers like you. Please visit conversationsthatmatter.ca and become a patron. Okay, so that brings up an interesting point and a bit of conflict around saying, well, think long term and don't get caught in the tyranny of now. But what that demonstrates right there is that absolutely every single thing you do has significance. Yeah. You may not know what that significance is for decades to come, right. but every decision that you make has an outcome, which triggers something else, triggers something else. Therefore, you can never say, oh, well, it doesn't matter, yeah. because it does. Right. You just may not be able to articulate how it matters in this moment. Or if you don't make a decision. So don't make, not making a decision is, in fact, making a decision. It is, it's yeah. the decision that you're going to default or you're going to do that or you're not going to, not going to do that. So all of those are, are 
or have repercussions. In an oversimplified but lovely analogy is you know, the, the individual who, who plants trees, people plant trees all the time, but someone who plants a tree knowing the immediacy of it and the benefits and so forth and the, you know, the, the, the chore, the, the getting it all done, but does it knowing that long after they're gone, someone will sit and benefit from the shade cast by that tree. But the planter isn't going to be that person. That's a, a, a version of what you had with the indigenous chiefs, seven generations, what cathedral thinking is, is that you know, there's more to us being on this planet than us being on this planet, just for our gratification. Well, it's something that's within our grasp if we choose to concentrate. Yes. Uh, you know, we have this wonderful little uh, executive brain, the prefrontal cortex, and in particular, the dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex, which helps you to concentrate and gives you the ability to look at where we're at now, remember what was in the past, mm. and project into the future. We're the only species on Earth that can do that and record it so that we build that record. And so we have all the tools that are necessary for us to, oddly enough, live in the moment, but also uh, forecast the future and remember the past. What was, isn't, and what is, won't be. The challenge, trick, bit about the moment is to try and anticipate what will be, or to be bold enough to say what you want to make to will be. And that's what happens when, you know, the, the, the Olympics came to Vancouver and Whistler and Richmond in 2010, and people talk about the bid that started in 1996. But there was a bid to bring the World Olympics to Whistler area in the 1960s. Hmm. It did not work. Then there was another bid in the 70s. It did not work. The third bid, which was successful, built upon those earlier ones. And we acknowledged the people when I was with Tourism Vancouver, many of those who were around for the 1960s bid, we acknowledged them as cathedral thinkers of their day because many of their, there were a few of them still around, but many of the others had passed. But their grandchildren or their great-grandchildren were here to welcome the world when the Olympics came, when the athletes were here. And some of them even competed. So they were cathedral thinkers. <laughs> You remind me of uh, the, the line in Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. You've got to have a great big, hairy, audacious idea. Yeah. And then just start. Exactly. Start, <laughs> and, yes. And, and then things unfold. You know, I, 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 think, I think you've hit it. I've, I've uh, just written a book called Train Beyond the Mountains, Journeys on the, the Rocky Mountaineer. And toward the end of it, I'm actually um, with my grandson, Riley, and we're um, at Cathedral Mountain Lodge and Cathedral Mountain, gorgeous. I write there with the motivation of looking at Cathedral Mountain. I write about four cathedral thinkers because they did in their day or are doing in their day things that would be tremendous or have been tremendous for future generations. And William Van Horn in building the CPR. Right. Uh, James Sherwood, who uh, out of Britain, an American out of, out of uh, Britain, who reclaimed, refurbished, rejuvenated, re-engineered what today is again the Orient 
Express and and Ron Voss who has Rovis Rail, all these uh, these old old coaches. He's made safe for today's worthiness because you've, you've got to do that. And Peter Armstrong who has Rocky Mountaineer and takes a multi-generational view of the building of that. So those four railroaders have each in their own way uh, earned the reputation or recognition as cathedral thinkers. It's a concept that we can all apply to our lives and especially within the organizations that we are a part of. Rick, thanks for your time today. Thank you. Please visit conversationsthatmatter.ca and become a patron. It's thanks to listeners and viewers and the ongoing support of Audlin Brown and BD Developments that the production of this program is possible.